One of those people who pokes his nose where it doesn't belong, I fancy, said the lecturer in recent rooms, and sniffed. He sniffed again, and looked down at the book he'd picked at random. This is a pressed squid collection, he said. Oh, is it any good? I used to collect starfish when I was a boy, said Ponder. The lecturer in recent runes shut the book and frowned at him over the top of it. I dare say you did, young man. And old fossils too, I expect. I always thought that old fossils might have a lot to teach us, said Ponder. Perhaps I was wrong, he added darkly. Well, I for one have never believed all that business about dead animals turning into stone, said the lecturer in recent runes. It's against all reason. What's in it for them? So how do you explain fossils, then? said Ponder. Ah, 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 you see, I don't, said the lecturer in recent runes with a triumphant smile. It saves so much trouble in the long run. How do skinless sausages hold together, Mr. Stippens? What? Huh? How should I know something like that? Really? You don't know that? But you think you're entirely qualified to know how the whole universe was put together, do you? Anyway, you don't have to explain fossils. They are there. Why try to turn everything into a big mystery? If you go around asking questions the whole time, you'll never get anything done. Well, what are we put here for? said Ponder. There you go again, said the lecturer in recent runes. Says here... It's girt by sea, said the senior wrangler. He looked up at their stairs. This, this continent, XXXX, he added, pointing at a page, says here, little is known about it, save that it is girt by sea. I'm, I'm glad to see someone has their mind on the task in hand, said Ridcully. You two, get on with some studying, please. Right, then, senior wrangler. Girt by sea, is it? Apparently. Well, well, it would be, wouldn't it? said Ridcully. Anything else? I used to know a girt, said the bursar. The terror of the library had sent his somewhat erratic sanity on a downward slide into the calm pink clouds again. Not very much, said the senior wrangler, flicking through the pages. Sir Roderick Purday spent many years looking for the alleged continent and was very emphatic that it didn't exist. Quite a jolly girl. Gertrude Plusher, I think her name was. Face like a brick. Yes, but he once got lost in his own bedroom, said the dean, thumbing through another book. They found him in the wardrobe. I wonder if it's the same Gert, said the bursar. "'Could be, Bursa,' said Ridcully. "'He nodded at the other wizards. "'No one's to let him have any sugar or fruit.' "'For a while there was no sound but the splash of water behind the door, "'the turning of pages, and the Bursa's randomised humming. "'According to this note in Wasport's Lives of Very Dull People,' "'said the senior wrangler, squinting at the tiny script.' He met an old fisherman who said in that country the bark fell off the trees in the winter and the leaves stayed on. Yes, yes, but they always make up that sort of thing, said Ridcully. Otherwise it's too boring. It's no good coming home and just saying you were shipwrecked for two years and eight winkles, is it? You have to put in a lot of daft stuff about men who go around on one big foot and the land of giant plum puddings and nursery rubbish like that. My word, 
said the lecturer in recent rooms, who had been engrossed in a volume at the other end of the table. It says here that the people on the island of Slacky wear no clothes at all, and the women are of unsurpassed beauty. That sounds quite dreadful, said the chair of indefinite studies primly. There are <clears throat> several woodcuts. I, I'm sure none of us wish to know that, said Ridcully. He looked around at the rest of the wizards and repeated in a louder voice, I said, I'm sure none of us wish to know that. Dean, come right back here and pick up your chair. There's a, a mention of XXXX in Wrencher's Snakes of All Nations, said the chair of indefinite studies. It says the continent has very few poisonous snakes. Oh, there's a footnote. His finger went down the page. It says most of them have been killed by the spiders. How very odd. Oh, said the lecturer in recent runes. It also says here that the denizens of Purdy Island also existeth in a state of nature. He struggled with the ancient handwriting. Yeti is in fine health and of good bearing and stature and is truly a nobly savage. Let me have a look at that, said Ridcully. The book was passed down the table. The Arch-Chancellor scowled. It's written noble, he said. Noble, savage, means you, means you act like a gentleman, don't you know? What? Go fox hunting, bow to ladies, don't pay your tailor, that sort of thing. Shouldn't think that chap owes his tailor very much, said Ridcully, looking at the accompanying illustration. All right, chaps, let's see what else we can find. He's having rather a long buff, isn't he? said the dean after a while. I mean, I like to be as well scrubbed as the next man, but we're talking serious prunes here. Sounds like he's sloshing about, said the senior wrangler. "'Sounds like the seaside,' said the bursar happily. "'Try to keep up, will you, bursar?' said Ridcully wearily. "'Actually,' said the senior wrangler, "'there is a certain sea-gully component, now that you mention it.' Ridcully stood up, strode over to the bathroom door, and held up his fist to knock. "'I am the Arch-Chancellor,' he grumbled, lowering it. "'I can open any doors I damn well please.' And he turned the handle. "'There,' he said as the door swung back. "'See, gentlemen, a perfectly ordinary bathroom, "'stone bath, brass taps, bath cap, "'humorous scrubbing brush in the shape of a duck, "'a perfectly ordinary bathroom. "'It is not, let me make myself quite clear, "'some kind of tropical beach. "'It doesn't look remotely like a tropical beach.' "'He pointed out the bathroom's open window "'to where waves lapped languorously "'against a tree-fringed strand under a brilliant blue sky.' The bathroom curtains flapped on a warm breeze. "'That's a tropical beach,' he said. "'See? No similarity at all.' After his nourishing meal, that contained masses of essential vitamins and minerals, and, unfortunately, quite a lot of taste as well, the man with wizard on his hat settled down for some housekeeping, or as much as was possible in the absence of a house. It consisted of chipping away at a piece of wood with a stone axe. He appeared to be making a very short plank, and the speed with which he was working suggested he'd done this before. A cockatoo settled in the tree above him to watch. 
Rincewind glared at it suspiciously. When the plank had apparently been smoothed to his satisfaction, he stood on it with one foot, and swaying, drew around the foot with a piece of charcoal from the fire. He did the same with the other foot, and then settled down to hack at the wood again. The watcher in the waterhole realised that the man was making two foot-shaped boards. Rincewind took a length of twine from his pocket. He found a particular creeper which, if you carefully peeled the bark off, would give you a terrible spotted rash. What he'd actually been looking for was a creeper which, if you carefully peeled off the bark, would give you a serviceable twine, and it had taken several more goes and various different rashes to find out which one this was. If you made a hole in the soles and fed a loop of twine through it into which a toe could be inserted, you ended up with some ur footwear. It made you shuffle like the ascent of man, but nevertheless had some unexpected benefits. Firstly, the steady flop-flop as you walked made you sound like two people to any dangerous creatures you were about to encounter, which in Rincewind's recent experience was any creature at all. Second, although they were impossible to run in, they were easy to run out of, so that you were a smoking dot on the burning horizon while the enraged caterpillar or beetle was still looking at your shoes and wondering where the other person was. He'd had to run away a lot. Every night he made a new pair of thonged sandals, and every day he left them somewhere in the desert. When he'd finished them to his satisfaction, he took a roll of thin bark from his pocket. Attached to it by a length of twine was a very precious small stub of pencil. He'd decided to keep a journal in the hope that this might help. He looked at the recent entries. Probably Tuesday, hot, flies, dinner, honey ants, attacked by honey ants, fell into waterhole. Wednesday, with any luck. Hot. Flies. Dinner, either bush raisins or kangaroo droppings. Chased by hunters, don't know why, fell into waterhole. Thursday, could be. Hot. Flies. Dinner, blue-tongued lizard. Savaged by blue-tongued lizard. Chased by different hunters, fell off cliff, bounced into tree, pissed on by small grey incontinent teddy bear, landed in a waterhole. Friday, hot flies. Dinner, some kind of roots which tasted like sick. This saved time. Saturday, hotter than yesterday. Extra flies. V thirsty. Sunday, hot. Delirious with thirst and flies. Nothing but nothing as far as the eye can see, with bushes in it. Decided to die. Collapsed, fell down sand dune, into waterhole. He wrote very carefully, and as small as possible, Monday. Hot. Flies. Dinner. Moth grubs. He stared at the writing. It said it all, really. Why didn't people here like him? He'd meet some small tribe, everything would be friendly, he'd pick up a few tips, get to know a few names, he'd build up a vocabulary, enough to chat about ordinary everyday things like the weather, and then suddenly they'd be chasing him away. After all, everyone talked about the weather, didn't they? Rincewind had always been happy to think of himself as a racist. The 100 metres, the mile, the marathon, he'd run them all. Later, when he'd learned with some surprise what the word actually meant, he'd been equally certain he wasn't one. He was a person who divided the world quite simply into people who were trying to kill him and people who weren't. That didn't leave much room for fine details like what colour anyone was. 
but he'd be sitting by the campfire, trying out a simple conversation, and suddenly people would get upset over nothing at all and drive him off. You didn't expect people to get nasty just because you'd said something like, My word, when did it last rain here? Did you? Rincewind sighed, picked up his stick, beat the hell out of a patch of ground, lay down and went to sleep. Occasionally, he screamed under his breath and his legs made running motions which just showed that he was dreaming. The waterhole rippled. It wasn't large, a mere puddle deep in a bush-filled gully between some rocks, and the liquid it contained could only be called water because geographers refused to countenance words like soup hole. Nevertheless, it rippled, as though something had dropped into the centre. And what was odd about the ripples was that they didn't stop when they reached the edge of the water, but continued outwards over the land as expanding circles of dim white light. When they reached Rincewind, they broke up and flowed around him, so that now he was the centre of concentric lines of white dots, like strings of pearls. The waterhole erupted. Something climbed up into the air and sped away across the night. It zigzagged from rock to mountain to waterhole, and as the eye of observation rises, the travelling streak briefly illuminates other dim lines, hanging above the ground like smoke. So from above, the whole land appears to have a circulatory system, or nerves. A thousand miles from the sleeping wizard, the line struck ground again, emerged in a cave, and passed across the walls like a searchlight. It hovered in front of a huge, pointed rock for a moment, and then, as if reaching a decision, shot up again into the sky. The continent rolled below it as it returned. The light hit the waterhole without a splash, but once again three or four ripples in something spread out across the turbid water and the surrounding sand. Night rolled in again. But there was a distant thumping under the ground. Bushes trembled. In the trees birds awoke and flew away. After a while, on a rock face near the waterhole, pale white lines began to form a picture. Rincewind had attracted the attention of at least one other watcher, apart from whatever it was that dwelt in the waterhole. Death had taken to keeping Rincewind's lifetimer on a special shelf in his study, in much the way that a zoologist would want to keep an eye on a particularly intriguing specimen. The lifetimers of most people were the classic shape that death thought was right and proper for the task. They appeared to be large egg-timers, although since the sands they measured were the living seconds of someone's life, all the eggs were in one basket. Rincewind's hourglass looked like something created by a glass-blower who'd had the hiccups in a time machine. According to the amount of actual sand it contained, and death was pretty good at making this kind of estimate, he should have died long ago but strange curves and bends and extrusions of glass had developed over the years, and quite often the sand was flowing backwards, or diagonally. Clearly, Rincewind had been hit by so much magic, had been thrust reluctantly through time and space so often, that he'd nearly bumped into himself coming the other way, that the precise end of his life was now as hard to find as the starting point on a roll of really sticky transparent tape. Death was familiar with the concept of the eternal, ever-renewed hero, the champion with a thousand faces. He'd refrained from commenting. He met heroes frequently, generally surrounded by, and this was important, the dead bodies of very nearly all their enemies, and saying, What the hell just happened? Whether there was some arrangement that allowed them to come back again afterwards was not something he would be drawn on. But he pondered whether, if this creature did exist, 
It was somehow balanced by the eternal coward, the hero with a thousand retreating backs, perhaps. Many cultures had a legend of an undying hero who would one day rise again, so perhaps the balance of nature called for one who wouldn't. Whatever the ultimate truth of the matter, the fact now was that death did not have the slightest idea of when Rincewind was going to die. This was very vexing to a creature who prided himself on his punctuality. Death glided across the velvet emptiness of his study until he reached the model of the Discworld, if indeed it was a model. Eyeless sockets looked down. "'Show!' he said. The precious metals and stones faded. Death saw ocean currents, deserts, forests, drifting cloudscapes like albino buffalo herds. "'Show!' The eye of observation curved and dived into the living map, and a reddish splash grew in an expanse of turbulent sea. Ancient mountain ranges slipped past, deserts of rock and sand glided away. Show! Death watched the sleeping figure of Rincewind. Occasionally, its legs would jerk. Hmm! Death felt something crawling up the back of his robe, pause for a minute on his shoulder and leap. A small rodent skeleton in a black robe landed in the middle of the image and started flailing madly at it with his tiny sides, squeaking excitedly. Death picked up the death of rats by his cowl and held him up for inspection. No! We don't do it that way. The death of rats struggled madly. Squeak? Because it's against the rules, said death. Nature must take its course. He glanced down at the image again, as if a thought had struck him, and lowered the death of rats to the floor. Then he went to the wall and pulled a cord. Far away, a bell tolled. After a while, an elderly man entered carrying a tray. Sorry about that, master. I was cleaning the bath. I beg your pardon, Albert. I mean, that's why I was late with your tea, sir, said Albert. That is of no consequence. Tell me, what do you know of this place? Death's finger tapped the red continent. His manservant looked closely. Oh, there, he said. Terror incognita, we called it when I was alive, master. Never went there myself. It's the currents, you know. Many a poor sailorman has washed up on them fatal shores rather than get carried right over the rim and regretted it, I expect. Dry as a statue's t uh, very dry, master, or so they say. And hotter than a demon's jockstra very hot too. But you must have been there yourself. Oh, yes. But you know how it is when you're there on business and there's hardly any time to see the country. Death pointed to the great spiral of clouds that turned slowly around the continent, like jackals warily circling a dying lion, which looked done for but which might yet be capable of one last bite. Very strange, he said. A permanent anti-cyclone and inside a huge, calm land that never sees a storm and never has a drop of rain. Good place for a holiday, then. Come with me. The two of them, trailed by the death of rats, walked into Death's huge library. There were clouds here, up near the ceiling. Death held out a hand. I want, 
he said, a book about the dangerous creatures of Forex. Albert looked up and dived for cover, receiving only mild bruising because he had the foresight to curl into a ball. After a while, Death, his voice a little muffled, said, Albert, I would be so grateful if you could give me a hand here. Albert scrambled up and pulled at some of the huge volumes, finally dislodging enough of them to allow his master to clamber free. Hum! Death picked up a book at random and read the cover. Dangerous mammals, reptiles, amphibians, birds, fish, jellyfish, insects, spiders, crustaceans, grasses, trees, mosses, and lichens of the terror incognita, he read. His gaze moved down the spine. Volume 29C, he added. Oh, part three, I see. He glanced up at the listening shelves. Possibly it would be simpler if I asked for a list of the harmless creatures of the aforesaid continent. They waited. It would appear that... No, wait, master, here it comes. Albert pointed to something white, zigzagging lazily through the air. Finally, Death reached up and caught the single sheet of paper. He read it carefully and then turned it over briefly just in case anything was written on the other side. "'May I?' said Albert. Death handed him the paper. "'Some of the sheep,' Albert read aloud. "'Ah, well, maybe a week at the seaside would be better then.' "'What an intriguing place,' said Death. "'Saddle up the horse, Albert. I feel sure I'm going to be needed.' "'Squeak!' said the Death of Rats. "'Pardon?' "'He said, no worries, master,' said Albert. I can't imagine why. Four huge blooms of silence rolled over the city as old Tom so emphatically did not strike the hour. Several servants rumbled a trolley along the corridor. The Arch-Chancellor had given in. An early breakfast was on the way. Ridcully lowered his tape measure. Yeah, let's try that again, shall we? he said. He stepped out of the window and picked a seashell out of the sand. It was warm from the sun. Then he pulled himself back into the bathroom and walked around to a door beside the window. It led to a dank, moss-grown light well, which allowed second-hand and grubby daylight into these dismal floors. Even the snow hadn't managed to get more than a brushing of flakes down this far. The window on this side glimmered in the light from the doorway like a pool of very black oil. Okay, Dean, he said. Push your staff through. Now, waggle it about. The wizards looked at the gently rippling surface. There should have been several feet of solid wood sticking out of it. Well, 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 said the Arch-Chancellor, going back in out of the cold air. Do you know I've, I, I've never actually seen one of these? Anyone remember Arch-Chancellor Budley's boots? said the senior wrangler, helping himself to some cold mutton from the trolley. He made a mistake and got one of the things opened up in the left boot. Very tricky. You can't go walking around with one foot in another dimension. Well, well, no, said Ridcully, staring at the tropical scene and tapping his chin thoughtfully with the seashell. Can't see what you're treading in for one thing, said the senior wrangler. One opened up in one of the cellars once all by itself, said the dean. Just a round black hole. 
Anything you put in it just disappeared, so old Arch-Chancellor Weatherwax had a privy built over it. Very sensible idea, said Ridcully, still looking thoughtful. We thought so, too, until we found the other one that had opened in the attic. Turned out to be the other side of the same hole. I'm sure I don't need to draw you a picture. I've never heard of these, said Ponder Stibbons. The possibilities are amazing. Everyone says that when they first hear about them, said the senior wrangler. But when you've been a wizard as long as I have, my boy, you'll learn that as soon as you find anything that offers amazing possibilities for the improvement of the human condition, it's best to put the lid back on and pretend it never happened. But if you could get one to open above another, you could drop something through the bottom hole and it had come out of the top hole and fall through the bottom hole again. It had reached meteoritic speed and the amount of power you could generate would be... That's pretty much what happened between the attic and the cellar, said the dean, taking a cold chicken leg. Thank goodness for air friction, that's all I say. Ponder waved his hand gingerly through the window and felt the sun's heat. And no one's ever studied them, he said. The senior wrangler shrugged. Studied what? They're just holes. You get a lot of magic in one place. It kind of drops through the world like a hot steel ball through pork dripping. If it comes to the edge of something, it kind of fills it in. Stress points in the space-time continuum, -inuum, said Ponder. There must be hundreds of uses. Eh? Yes. No wonder our egregious professor is always so sun-tanned, said the dean. I feel he's been cheating. Geography should be hard to get to. It shouldn't be in your window box, is what I'm saying. You shouldn't get at it just by sneaking out of the university. Well, he hasn't really, has he? said the senior wrangler. He's really just extended his study a bit. Do you think that is XXXX by any chance? said the dean. It certainly looks foreign. Well, there is C, said the senior wrangler. But would you say that it looks as if it's actually girting? It's just, you know, just sloshing. One would somehow imagine that C that was girting something would look more, well, defiant, said the lecturer in recent runes. You know... Thundering waves and so on, definitely sending a message to outsiders that it was girting this coast and they'd better be jolly respectful. Perhaps we could go right through and investigate, said Ponder. Something dreadful'll happen if we do, said the senior wrangler gloomily. Oh, it hasn't happened to the bursa, said Ridcully. The wizards crowded around. There was a figure standing in the surf. Its robe was rolled up above the knees. A few birds wheeled overhead. Palm trees waved in the background. My word, he must have snuck out while we weren't looking, said the senior wrangler. Bursa! Ridcully yelled. The figure didn't look around. I don't want to, you know, make trouble, said the chair of indefinite studies, looking wistfully at the sun-drenched beach, but it's... "'Freezing cold in my bedroom, and last night there was frost on my eiderdown. "'I don't see any harm in a quick stroll in the warm.' "'We're here to help the librarian,' snapped Ridcully. "'Faint snores were coming from the volume entitled Ook. 
"'My point exactly. "'The poor chap would be a lot happier in those trees there.' "'You mean we could... we could wedge him in the branches?' said the Arch-Chancellor. "'He's still the story of Ook.' "'You know what I mean, Mustrum. "'A day at the seaside for him would be better than... "'a day at the seaside, as it were. "'Let's get out there. I'm freezing.' "'Are you mad? There could be terrible monsters. "'Look at the poor chap standing there in the surf. "'That sea's probably teeming with... with... "'Sharks,' said the senior wrangler. "'Right,' said Ridcully. "'And barracudas,' said the senior wrangler. "'Marlins, swordfish. "'Looks like somewhere out near the rim to me. "'Fishermen say there's fish there that would take your arm off.' "'Right,' said Ridcully. "'Right.' There was a small but significant change in his tone. Everyone knew about the stuffed fish on his walls. Arch-Chancellor Ridcullet would hunt anything. The only cockerel still crowing within 200 yards of the university these days stood under a cart to do it. "'And that jungle,' said the senior angler, sniffling, "'looks pretty damn dangerous to me. "'Could be anything in it. "'Fatal.' Could be tigers and, and, and gorillas and elephants and, and pineapples. I wouldn't go near it. I'm with you, Arch-Chancellor. Better to freeze here than look some rabid man-eater in the eye. Ridcully's own eyes were burning bright. He stroked his beard thoughtfully. Oh, tigers, eh? he said. Then his expression changed. Pineapples? Deadly! said the senior wrangler firmly. One of them got my aunt. We couldn't get it off her. I told her that's not the way you're supposed to eat them, but would she listen? The dean looked sidelong at his arch-chancellor. It was the glance of a man who also didn't want another night in a frigid bedroom and had suddenly worked out where the levers were. That gets my vault, Mustrum, he said. Catch me going through some hole in space onto some warm beach with a sea teeming with huge fish and a jungle full of hunting trophies. <laughs> He yawned like a bad poker player. No, it's me from a nice freezing bed. I don't know about you, Arch-Chancellor. Uh, I think... Ridcully began. Yes? Clams, said the senior wrangler, shaking his head. Looks just the beach for the devils. You ask my cousin. You'll have to find a good medium first, though. They shouldn't ooze green, I said. They shouldn't bubble, I told him. But would he listen? The Arch-Chancellor was currently amongst those who wouldn't. You think that taking him out there would be just the thing for the librarian, do you? He said. Just the tonic for the poor old chap and an hour or two under that sun? But I expect we ought to be ready to protect him, eh, Arch-Chancellor? The Dean said innocently. Why, yes! I hadn't really thought of that, said Ridcully. Hmm, mm, yes, yes, important point. Uh, better get them to bring down my, my 500-pound crossbow with the armour-piercing arrows and my home taxidermy outfit and all ten fishing rods and all four tackle boxes and the big set of scales. Good thinking, Arch-Chancellor, said the Dean. He may want to take a swim when he's feeling better.
"'In that case,' said Ponder, "'I think I'll get my Thalma Delight and my notebooks. "'It's vital to work out where we are. "'It could be XXXX, I suppose. "'It looks very foreign.' "'I suppose I'd better fetch my reptile press and my herbarium,' "'said the Chair of Indefinite Studies, who had got there eventually.' Much may be learned from the plants here, I'll wager. I shall certainly endeavour to make a study of any primitive grass-skirted peoples hereabouts, added the dean, with a lawnmower look in his eyes. What about you, runes? said Ridcully. Me? Oh, um. The lecturer in recent runes looked wildly at his colleagues, who were nodding frantically at him. Um... "'This would be a good time to catch up on my reading, obviously.' "'Right,' said Ridcully, "'because we are not, and, and I want to make this very clear, "'we are not doing this in order to enjoy ourselves. "'Is that understood?' "'What about the senior wrangler?' said the dean, nastily. "'Me? Enjoy it? "'There might even be prawns out there,' said the senior wrangler, miserably. "'Ridcully hesitated.' The other wizards shrugged when he glanced at them. Oh, look, old chap, he said eventually, I think I understood about the clams, and I've got a sort of mental picture about your granny and the pineapple. My aunt, your, your, your aunt and the pineapple, but mm, what's deadly about prawns? Eh, see how you like a crate of them dropping off the crane onto your head, said the senior wrangler. "'My uncle didn't, I can tell you.' "'Okay, I think I understand. "'Important safety tip, everyone,' said Ridcully. "'Avoid all crates, understood? "'But we are not here on some kind of holiday. "'Do you all understand me?' "'Absolutely,' said the wizards in unison. "'They all understood him.' "'Rincewind awoke with a scream to get it over with. "'Then... He saw the man watching him. He was sitting cross-legged against the dawn. He was black, not brown or blue-black, but black as space. This place baked people. Rincewind pulled himself up and thought about reaching for his stick, and then he thought again. The man had a couple of spears stuck in the ground, and people here were good at spears, because if you didn't get efficient at hitting the things that moved fast, you had to eat the things that moved slowly. He was also holding a boomerang and it wasn't one of those toy ones that came back. This was one of the big, heavy, gently curved sort that didn't come back because it was sticking in something's ribcage. You could laugh at the idea of wooden weapons until you saw the kind of wood that grew here. It had been painted with stripes of all colours, but it still looked like a business item. Rincewind tried to seem harmless. It required little in the way of acting. The Watcher regarded him in that sucking silence that you just have to fill, and Rincewind came from a culture where, if there was nothing to say, you said something. Um, said Rincewind, me, big fella, uh, fella, um, belong, um, um, damn, what's the... He gave up and glanced at the blue sky. Um, turned out nice again, he said. The man seemed to sigh stuck the boomerang into the strip of animal skin that was his belt, and in fact the whole of his wardrobe, and stood up. Then he picked up a leathery sack, slung it over one shoulder, took the spears, and without a backward glance, ambled off around a rock. 
This might have struck anyone else as rude, but Rincewind was always happy to see any heavily armed person walking away. He rubbed his eyes and contemplated the dismal task of subduing breakfast. You want some grub? The voice was almost a whisper. Rincewind looked around. A little way off was the hole from which last night's supper had been dug. Apart from that, there was nothing all the way to the infinite horizon but scrubby bushes and hot red rocks. I think I dug up most of them, he said weakly. Nah, mate. I've got to tell you the secret of finding tucker in the bush. There's always a butte feed if you know where to look, mate. Um, how come you're speaking my language, mystery voice? said Rincewind. I ain't, said the voice. You're listening to mine. Gotta feed you up proper. Gonna sing you into a real bush tucker finder. True. Lovely grub, said Rincewind. Just you stand there and don't move. It sounded as though the unseen voice then began to chant very quietly through an unseen nose. Rincewind was, after all, a wizard. Not a good one, but he was sensitive to magic, and the chant was doing strange things. The hairs on the back of his hands tried to crawl up his arms, and the back of his neck began to sweat. His ears popped, and very gently the landscape began to spin around him. He looked down at the ground. There were his feet. Almost certainly his feet. And they were standing on the red earth and not moving at all. Things were moving round him. He wasn't dizzy, but by the look of it, the landscape was. The chanting stopped. There was a sort of echo, which seemed to happen inside his head, as if the words had been merely the shadow of something more important. Rincewind shut his eyes for a while, and then opened them again. Um, fine, he said. Very catchy. He couldn't see the speaker, so he spoke with that careful politeness you reserve for someone armed who is probably standing behind you. He turned. I expect you, um, had to go somewhere, did you? He said to the empty air. Er, uh, hello? Even the insects had gone quiet. Er, uh, you haven't noticed a, a, a box walking around on legs, have you, by any chance? He tried to see if anyone could possibly be hiding behind a bush. It's, it's not important, it's just that it's got my clean underwear in it. The boundless silence made an eloquent statement about the universe's views on clean underwear. So, um, I'm going to know how to find food in the bush, right? He ventured. He glared at the nearest trees. They didn't look any more fruitful than before. He shrugged. What a strange person. He edged over to a flat stone and with a stick raised in case of resistance from anything below, pulled it up. There was a chicken sandwich underneath. It tasted rather like chicken. A little way away, behind the rocks near the waterhole, a drawing faded into the stone. This was another desert elsewhere. No matter where you were, this place would always be elsewhere. It was one of those places further than any conceivable journey, but possibly as close as the far side of a mirror, or just a breath away. There was no sun in the sky here, unless the whole sky was sun. It glowed yellow. The desert underfoot was still red sand, but hot enough to burn. A crude drawing of a man appeared on a rock. Gradually, layer by layer, it got more complex, as if the unseen hand was trying to draw bones and organs and a nervous system and a soul. And he stepped onto the sand and put down his bag, which here seemed a lot heavier. He stretched his arms and cracked his knuckles. 
At least here he could talk normally. He daren't raise his voice down there in the shadow world lest he raise mountains as well. He said a word which on the other side of the rock would have shaken trees and created meadows. It meant, in the true language of things which the old man spoke, something like trickster. A creature like him appears in many belief systems, although the jolly name can be misleading. Tricksters have that robust sense of humour that puts a landmine under a seat cushion for a bit of a laugh. A black and white bird appeared and perched on his head. "'You know what to do,' said the old man. "'Him? What a wonga!' said the bird. "'I've been looking at him. He's not even heroic. He's just in the right place at the right time.' The old man indicated that this was maybe the definition of a hero. "'All right, but why not go and get the thing yourself?' said the bird. "'You've got to have heroes,' said the old man. "'And I suppose I'll have to help,' said the bird. It sniffed, which is quite hard to do through a beak. "'Yep, off you go!' The bird shrugged, which is easy to do if you have wings, and flew down off the old man's head. It didn't land on the rock, but flew into it. For a moment there was a drawing of a bird, and then it faded. Creators aren't gods. They make places, which is quite hard. It's men that make gods. This explains a lot. The old man sat down and waited. Confront a wizard with the concept of a bathing suit and he'll start to get nervous. Why does it have to be so skimpy, he'll ask. Where can I put the gold embroidery? How can you have any kind of costume without at least 40 useful pockets? And occult symbols made out of sequins. There appears to be no place for them. And where, when you get right down to it, are the lapels. There is also the concept of acreage. It is vitally important that as large an amount of wizard as possible is covered, so that timid people and horses are not frightened. There may be strapping young wizards with copper-coloured skins and muscles as solid as a plank, but not after sixty years of UU dinners. It gives senior wizards what they think is called gravitas, but is more accurately called gravity. Also, it takes heavy machinery to part a wizard from his pointy hat. The chair of indefinite studies looked sidelong at the dean. They both wore a variety of garments in which red and white stripes predominated. Last one, into the waters, a man standing all by himself on the beach, he shouted. Wizards also enjoy a bit of fun, but never have much of a chance to develop the appropriate vocabulary. Out on a point of rock, surf washing over his bare feet... Mustrum Ridcully lit his pipe and cast a line on the end of which was such a fearsome array of spinners and weights that any fish it didn't hook, it might successfully bludgeon. The change of scenery seemed to be working on the librarian. Within a few minutes of being laid in the sunlight, he'd sneezed himself back into his old shape, and he now sat on the beach with a blanket around him and a fern leaf on his head. It was indeed a lovely day. It was warm, the sea murmured beautifully, the wind whispered in the trees. The librarian knew he ought to be feeling better, but instead he was beginning to feel extremely uneasy. He stared around him. The lecturer in recent rooms had gone to sleep with his book carefully shading his eyes. It had originally been entitled Principles of Thaumic Propagation, but because of the action of the sunlight and some specialised high-frequency vibrations from the sand granules on the beach, the words on the cover now read, The Omega Conspiracy. This isn't magic. It is a simple universal law. People always expect to use a holiday in the sun as an opportunity to read those books they've always meant to read. 
that an alchemical combination of sun, quartz crystals, and coconut oil will somehow metamorphose any improving book into a rather thicker one with a name containing at least one Greek word or letter, the Gamma Imperative, the Delta Season, the Alpha Project, and in the more extreme cases, even the Mu Cow P Caper. Sometimes a hammer and sickle turn up on the cover. This is probably caused by sunspot activity, since they are invariably the wrong way round. It's just as well for the librarian that he sneezed when he did, or he might have ended up a thousand pages thick and crammed with weapons specifications. In the middle distance was the window. It hung in the air, a simple square into a shadowy room. The Arch-Chancellor hadn't trusted the window catch and had propped up the window with a piece of wood. A warning label pinned to it showed that some thought had gone into the wording. Do not remove this wood. Not even to see what happens. Important. There appeared to be some forest behind the beach which rose a little way up the side of a small yet quite pointy mountain, certainly not tall enough to have snow on it. Some of the trees lining the beach looked hauntingly familiar and spoke to the librarian of home. This was strange because he had been born in Moon Pond Lane, Ark Moorpork, next to the saddlemakers. But they spoke to the home in his bones. He had an urge to climb. But there was something wrong with the trees. He looked down at the pretty shells on the beach. There was something wrong with them, too. Creepily, worryingly wrong. A few birds wheeled overhead, and they were wrong. They were the right shape, as far as he knew, and they seemed to be making the right noises, but they were still wrong. Oh, dear. He tried to stop the sneeze as it gathered nasal momentum, but this is impossible for anyone who wants to continue to go through life with their eardrums. There was a snort, a clattering sound, and the librarian changed into something suitable for the beach. It is often said about desert environments that there is in fact a lot of nutritious food around, if only you know what to look for. Rincewind mused on this as he pulled a plate of chocolate-covered sponge cakes from their burrow. They had dried coconut flakes on them. He turned the plate cautiously. Well, you couldn't argue with it. He was finding food in the desert. In fact, he was even finding dessert in the desert. Perhaps it was some special talent hitherto undiscovered by the kind people who had occasionally shared their food with him in the last few months. They hadn't eaten this sort of thing. They'd ground up seeds and dug up skinny yams and eaten things with more eyeballs than the watch had found after that business with Medley the medical kleptomaniac. So something was going right for him. Out here in the red-hot wilderness, something wanted him to stay alive. This was a worrying thought. No one ever wanted him alive for something nice. This was Rincewind after several months. His wizardly robe was quite short now. Bits had been torn off or used as string or after some particularly resistant hors d'oeuvre as bandages. It showed his knees, and wizards are nowhere near championship standard at knees. They tend to appear, as the book might put it, a knobbly savage. But he'd kept his hat. He'd woven a new wide brim for it, and he'd had to restore the crown once or twice with fresh bits of robe, and most of the sequins had been replaced with bits of shells stitched on with grass, but it was still his hat, the same old hat. A wizard without a hat was just a sad man with a suspicious taste in clothes. A wizard without a hat wasn't anyone. Although this particular wizard had a hat, 
He didn't have keen enough eyes to see the drawing appear on a red rock half hidden in the scrub. It started off like a bird, then without any time being other than smears of ochre and charcoal that had been there for years, it began to change shape. He set off towards the distant mountains. They'd been in view for several days. He hadn't the faintest idea if they represented a sensible direction, but at least they were one. The ground shivered underfoot. It had been doing that once or twice a day for a while, and that was another odd thing, because this didn't look like volcano country. This was the kind of country where, if you watched a large cliff for a few hundred years, you might see a rock drop off, and you'd talk about it for ages. Everything about it said that it had got over all the more energetic geological exercises a long time ago, and was a nice, quiet country, which, in other circumstances, a man might be at home in. He became aware after a while that a kangaroo was watching him from the top of a small rock. He'd seen the things before, bounding away through the bushes. They didn't usually hang around when there were humans about. This one was stalking him. They were vegetarian, weren't they? It wasn't as though he was wearing green. Finally, it sprang out of the bushes and landed in front of him. It brushed one ear with a paw and gave Rincewind a meaningful look. It brushed the other ear with the other paw and wrinkled its nose. "'Yes, fine, good,' said Rincewind. "'He started to edge away and then stopped. "'After all, it was just a big, well, rabbit, "'with a long tail and the kind of feet "'you normally see associated with red noses and baggy pants. "'I'm not frightened of you,' he said. "'Why should I be frightened of you?' "'Well,' said the kangaroo, "'I could kick your stomach out through your neck.' "'Ah, oh, you can talk.' "'You're a quick one.' said the kangaroo. It rubbed an ear again. Something wrong, said Rincewind. No, that's the kangaroo language. I'm trying it out. What, one scratch for yes and one for no, that sort of thing. The kangaroo scratched an ear and then remembered itself. Yep, it said. It wrinkled its nose. And the uh, wrinkling, said Rincewind. Oh, that means come quick, someone's fallen down a deep hole, said the kangaroo. That one gets used a lot. You'd be amazed. And what's kangaroo for? You are needed for a quest of the utmost importance, said Rincewind, with guileful innocence. You know, it's funny you should ask that. The sandals barely moved. Rincewind rose from them like a man leaving the starting blocks, and when he landed his feet were already making running movements in the air. After a while the kangaroo came alongside and accompanied him in a series of easy bounds. Why are you running away without even listening to what I have to say? I've had a long experience of being me, panted Rincewind. I know what's going to happen. I'm going to be dragged into things that shouldn't concern me, and you're just a hallucination caused by rich food on an empty stomach, so don't you try and stop me. Stop you, said the kangaroo, when you're heading in the right direction? Rincewind tried to slow down, but his method of running was very efficiently based on the idea that stopping was the last thing he'd do. Legs still moving, he ran out over the empty air and plunged into the void. The kangaroo looked down and, with a certain amount of satisfaction, wrinkled its nose. Arch-Chancellor! Ridcully awoke and sat up. The lecturer in recent runes was hurrying up, out of breath. "'The bursar and I uh, went for a walk along the beach,' he said. And, "'And can you guess where we ended up?' "'In Kidling Street Quirm,' said Ridcully tartly, "'brushing an exploring beetle off his beard. "'That little bit by the tea shop with the trees in it.' "'That's astonishing, Arch-Chancellor, "'because you know, in fact, we, we didn't.' 
We wound up back here. We're on a tiny island. Were you having a rest? A few moments uh, cogitating, said Ridcully. Any idea where we are yet, Mr. Stibbons? Ponder looked up from his notebook. I won't be able to work out that precisely until sundown, sir, but I think we're pretty close to the rim. And I think we found where the Professor of Cruel and Unusual Geography has been camping, said the lecturer in recent runes. He rummaged in a deep pocket. There was a camp and a fireplace, bamboo furniture and what not, socks on a washing line, and this. He pulled out the remains of a small notebook. It was standard UU issue. Ridcully would never let anyone have a new one until they'd filled up every page on both sides. It was just lying there, said the lecturer in recent rooms. I'm afraid ants have been eating it. Ridcully flicked it open and read the first page. Some interesting observations on Mono Island, he said. A most singular place. He flicked through the rest of the book. Just a list of plants and fishes, he said. Doesn't look all that special to me, but then I ain't a geography man. Why is he calling it Mono Island? It means one island, said Ponder. Well, you've just told me it is one island, said Ridcully. Anyway, I can see several more out there. Severe lack of imagination, I suggest. He tucked the notebook into his robe. Right then, no sign of the chap himself? Strangely, no. "'Probably went, went swimming and was eaten by a pineapple,' said Ridcully. "'How's the librarian doing, Mr. Stibbons? Comfortable, is he?' "'You should know, sir,' said Ponder. "'You've been sitting on him for three-quarters of an hour.' Ridcully looked down at the deck chair. It was covered with red fur. "'Oh, um, uh, this is... Um, yes, sir. I thought perhaps our geography man had brought it with him. "'Not uh, with the uh, black toenail, sir.' Ridcully appeared further. Oh, should I get up, do you think? Well, he is a deck chair, sir, so being sat on is a perfectly normal activity for him, I suppose. We, 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 we must find a cure, Stibbons. This is too strange. Cooey, gentlemen! There was activity in front of the window. It centred around a vision in pink, although admittedly the sort of vision associated with the more erratic kind of hallucinogen. In theory, there is no dignified way for a lady of a certain age to climb through a window, but nevertheless, this one was attempting it. In fact, she moved with more than dignity, which is something that is given away free with kings and bishops. What she had was respectability, which is homemade out of cast iron. However, at some point she would have to show a bit of ankle and she was wedged awkwardly on the sill while trying to prevent this from happening. The senior wrangler coughed. If he had been wearing a tie, he would have straightened it. "'Ah!' said Ridcully. "'The inestimable Mrs. Whitlow. "'Someone go and give her a hand. "'Stibbons!' "'I'll help,' said the senior wrangler, "'just a little faster than he meant.' The senior wrangler had once walked past Mrs. Whitlow's rooms when the door was open, and he'd caught sight of the bare, headless, armless dressmaker's dummy that she used to make all her own clothes. He'd had to go lie down quietly after that, and ever since had thought about Mrs. Whitlow in a special way. The university's housekeeper turned and spoke to someone unseen beyond the window and then turned back, her shouting at subordinates' expression briefly visible before it was eclipsed by her much sunnier, 
talking to wizards one. The chair of indefinite studies had once upset the senior wrangler by saying that the housekeeper had a face full of chins, but there was a glossiness about her that put some people in mind of a candle that had been kept in the warm for too long. There wasn't anything approaching a straight line anywhere on Mrs Whitlow until she found that something hadn't been dusted properly when you could use her lips as a ruler. Most of the faculty walked in dread of her. She had strange powers they couldn't quite get a grip on, like the ability to get the beds made and the windows washed. A wizard who could wield a staff crackling with power against dreadful monsters from some ghastly region was nevertheless quite capable of picking up a feather duster by the wrong end and seriously injuring himself with it. At Mrs Whitlow's whim, people's clothes got washed and socks got darned. Wizards lack the HW chromosome in their genes. Feminist researchers have isolated this as one which allows people to see the washing up in sinks before the life forms growing there have actually invented the wheel or discovered slewed. If anyone annoyed her, they found their study spring-cleaned more often than was good for them, and since to a wizard his room is as personal an item as his trouser pocket, this was a terrible vengeance. "'I just thought you gentlemen would like a morning snack,' she said, as the wizards helped her down. "'So I took the liberty of getting the girls to put together a cold collation. "'I'll just go and fetch it.' The Arch-Chancellor stood up hastily. "'Well done, Mrs Whitlow!' Uh, "'A morning snack,' said the senior wrangler. "'Looks like mid-afternoon to me.' His tone made it clear that if Mrs Whitlow wanted it to be the morning, he wasn't going to cause any trouble. "'Speed of light crossing the disc,' said Ponder. "'We are close to the rim, I'm sure. "'I'm trying to remember how you tell the time by looking at the sun.' "'I should leave it for a while.' said the senior wrangler, squinting under his hand. It's too bright to see the numbers at the moment. Ridcully nodded happily. I'm sure we could all do with a snack, he said. Something suitable for the beach, perhaps. Cold pork and mustard, said the dean, waking up. Possibly some beer, said the senior wrangler. And have we got any of those, those, those pies? You know the ones with the egg inside them? said the lecturer in recent rooms, although I must say I've always thought that it was rather cruel to the chicken. There was a soft little sound, very similar to the one you get aged around seven when you stick your finger in your mouth and flick it out again quickly and think it's incredibly funny. Ponder turned his head, dreading the sight he was about to see. Mrs Whitlow had a tray of cutlery in one hand and was prodding ineffectually at the air with the stick she held in the other. "'I only moved it to get things through,' she said. "'No, I can't seem to quite find where the silly thing is supposed to go.' Where there had been a dark rectangle opening into the geographer's dingy study, there was now only waving palms and sunlit sand. Strictly speaking, it could be said to be an improvement. It depended on your point of view.' 